But if we start giving each other the benefit of the doubt that people are inherently good and they just, they don't know how to ask a question or they don't know um, how to articulate uh, a particular thought without it sounding offensive. But if we start looking at people and saying, you know what, let me, let me rephrase that and give them the tools to be able to ask the next person without being ignorant, if you will. Um, you know, and ignorant just means uneducated, right? That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with Deputy Fire Marshal for West Hartford, Connecticut, Marsha McCurdy Adell. Marsha was the first black woman to graduate from Connecticut Fire Academy in the year 2000 and has served her community in a variety of ways since that time. Marsha is actively involved in advocating for the regular people in her community by engaging with city leadership. Marsha shares her challenges and successes throughout her career and explains the variety of roles she has filled throughout the years. Marsha is an absolute inspiration and role model for people to look up to. I am humbled to have had Marsha on the show and have had the chance to explore her walk of life. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Marsha McCurdy Adell. How are you doing this evening? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. Um, so, Marcia, you are uh, the first black woman to graduate from the Connecticut Fire Academy back in the year 2000. Uh, and then most recently, earlier this year, promoted to deputy fire marshal in West Hartford, Connecticut. That's me. That, yeah, that cool. is me. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Well, so <laughs> I, I just I, I think it's a, a, a obviously since you're the first, it's a unique, <laughs> unique tale. Um, but I kind of want to just start at the beginning just to walk through what that all looked like. So, you know, what was your childhood like when you were a little girl? Did you think you would grow up and be a firefighter? Like, was this on your radar the whole time? In a million years (laughs) did I ever think about it. Um, I will tell you this. uh, I tell people this um, and it's, do you know the first black woman firefighter I ever met? Mm. It was me. Wow. (laughs) That's the first black firefighter woman I'd ever met too. Wow. So um, it, it was a, really interesting experience being the first black woman um, to graduate from the Connecticut Fire Academy. And I will tell you, yes, it's a unique experience. Um, Being the first, it was hard. I will not lie to you. It wasn't a cakewalk. I would love to have been able to say that, but it wasn't, it was really hard, Um, but it was worth every, every sleepless night. It was worth every ache and pain. I've had an awesome career and I love my job. So yeah. um, I did not envision myself ever having a career in the fire service. It wasn't until a gentleman who I'd been working with in a gym, who's a retired captain, he actually had said to me, you know, Mosh, you should be a firefighter, Mosh. (laughs) Retired captain. Cap, I don't know anything about fighting fires. What what do you mean? He's like, that's perfect because they're going to teach you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um. And that's what they do at the academy. They really do teach you soup to nuts as to what you need to be a firefighter. And then when you actually get to your department, they try and unteach all of that and teach you the way they do it. Um, And in the meantime, um, I will admit wholeheartedly 
that I probably had never started a power tool before. Um, I had never started a chainsaw, but by the time I graduated, I was cutting holes in roofs, could cut a car in half in either direction and uh, could put a fire out. So um, they did it. They did a pretty good job. So, well, I mean, there's just, you know, obviously there's a certain level of um, bravery that is required to do such a job. I mean, were you looking at like military or law enforcement or something kind of adjacent to that? Like, Something Not at else all. dangerous? <laughs> no, no. Actually, you know what? I, my career originally was in a gym. I was the strength training director for um, a gym, and it happened to be right next to headquarters for a fire department. And I had landed a contract with uh, the re- uh, training the recruits for both police and fire for this municipality. Mm. And so I had this really amazing experience of being exposed to firefighters, to cops. I had... Um, and then there's this gentleman, Steve Harris, who says, Mosh, you need to be a firefighter, Mosh. You need to be a role model, Mosh. And it really got me thinking, like, every firefighter I met loved their job. And they allowed me to fall in love with their job, too. Mm. And I had only known how to blow out a, a, a candle or a match. <laughs> and uh, like I said, they, just all components of it, whether it's the schedule um, which allowed me to pursue all these other things, whether it was a camaraderie that you read about and watch on TV and in the movies. It wasn't exactly as organic as they make it out to be, mm. but I could tell you um, I, I earned my way and and I'm really proud of that. So, um, but they, who doesn't want to be a hero in their own hometown, you know? Right. And even though it um, it's a lengthy process, it's one that I'm super proud of and um, I would do it all over again. Yeah, yeah that's sure. awesome. Well, so I'm curious, I mean, you know, you kind of talked about, you know, some of the different, you know, being able to chainsaw cars in half and, and put out fires in a variety of circumstances coming out of the academy. But was there any, so I'm sure a lot of that, <laughs> I mean, any of that is somewhat surprising, chainsawing yeah. a car in half, but was there anything that stood out as just like the most surprising or was any part, maybe better yet, was there any part of it that matched your expectations when you went to the academy or did you have any? You, I doubt that you can really have expectations. I think a lot of my naivete was really good for me. Mm. Um, when you don't have the expectations, you're always, um, you, you don't have anything to compare it to, you know? Mm. And so you are enjoying the ride along the way. The parts that were hard were the parts where, again, my naivete had gotten in the way. Like, I didn't realize that not everybody is expect- accepting of the one black woman. The one woman. It was I was the only woman in my class, but I'm the first black woman to graduate from the academy. So not everyone was exactly expecting me to be there, nor did they want me there. Um, so they made it a little difficult, got a little complicated at times. But um, I could probably call any one of them up today and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's grab a coffee or some adult beverage and we'd belly up. So, um, yeah, that part felt good. Um, But the same happened when I actually got to the fire department, graduated. You know, now I've got the skill set and I'm ready to go. And um, not everybody was as welcoming as they are in the movies. So part of that was just me being new. Um, A part of that had been... You know, consider this. In the year 2000, there were a number of guys on the job who had been there longer than I had even been alive. Mm. So if you think about the guys that had gotten there after they'd served, 
and in, served their country in the military. And, um, and here I am coming in, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it wasn't as easy as I would have liked it to have been in the beginning, nor was it as easy as some of the other guys had it that I had actually gone to the academy with. So seeing that disparity was certainly discouraging at times. But um, again, at the end of the day, I had to prove myself. And I'm hoping that I did with everyone, even though that probably isn't exactly the case. There are always going to be those guys that are stubborn, but most of those guys have retired. So I've got right. plenty of room to flourish. <laughs> yeah, I talked to a woman, um, I don't know, I think it was sometime last fall, who uh, was actually a Secret Service agent, mm. and uh, also not common to see, you know, women yeah. in, in those ranks. And yeah, she kind of described, you know, and, and certainly not every person and not every scenario, but she described scenarios where maybe they would like, go a little harder than they needed to in the training or just make things slightly more difficult to try and really like test her and see if, you know, did she really want to be there? I guess right. is the way they're thinking right. uh, is similar to your experience. I'm guessing. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, yeah. there were times when if it were a different crew, it'd be a Saturday night and everybody would have the big meal and, you know, no training on a Saturday night. But when I was there, there was training. There was no big meal. <laughs> we were throwing <laughs> ladders. It was dark out. It was cold. It was rainy and we're outside. Um, you know, they were willing to sacrifice so that I could suffer. <laughs> right. <laughs> How delightful. And, <laughs> um, but at the same time, there were, I, I can't discount the guys that were right alongside me. They were holding me up when I was falling down um, and um, gave me encouraging words whenever they could. And those guys and women do exist out there and they are worth their weight in gold. They really yeah. are because on the, on your lowest day, you can, it's nice to be able to find somebody who can say, you got this, you know, um, even just that alone was, was helpful. So while there were a few people who, you know, wanted to step on your toes, there are a number of people who were willing to tie your shoes when sure. you couldn't even reach for them. So, well, so I'm curious, you know, a couple of things that you've said that have stood out to me that, that seem like they would just be applicable to life outside of even, you know, being a firefighter or a career specifically. But that's, you know, that A, when you didn't have expectations, that kind of enabled you to move past some things that maybe otherwise, if you had expectations, would have would have been a bigger barrier. And then also in talking about, you know, some of your colleagues, you have people that are challenging, but it's not exclusively people that are challenging, right? right. Like. So I guess my point just being that like, A, <laughs> trying to predict the future through expectations a lot can be <laughs> unhealthy in a lot of ways. And then also looking at the world as a, a binary thing where either people are against you or with you. And really, it, it's a mix of that. Does that, does that make sense? It, it's not only a mix, it's also a spectrum, right? Mm. So you have people who are just like, I'm on your side. Glad to have you here. You're, you know, um, it, tapping, you know, you're, they're smacking your back and yay, <laughs> you know, you get excited about those guys. Um, then there are guys, like I said, who make it harder than it had to be. And then you have the guys in the between who are just like, look, I'm here to do my job. You do your job. We're good. Um, and that spectrum is what I think we need to appreciate. Mm. Um, so while there were some guys that were all about the camaraderie and they didn't care what you look like, where you come from, they want to know... At the end of the day, everyone, no matter what you look like, they want to know that you can do your job. And um, it's interesting because sometimes that test 
wasn't about making making it harder for you. It um, was just the opposite. It was, hey, uh, don't worry about it. I'll carry your bags. And I, in my job, I have to carry my bags. Like I wanted them to know that I wanted to do the job. So no, I didn't let other people carry my bags. I wanted to do the job. Like I wanted to perfect bag carrying, if that were it, say. Right. Yeah. So um, that for me was a huge deal. And it was something really simple. It wasn't a particular skill. It wasn't a, it was, don't worry, I'm here to do my job. Mm-hmm. And whether that was a test or not, I don't know. But that one, I could tell you, I certainly passed. Um, I told all the guys that challenged me, I said, listen, um, you might think that I'm here because I checked two boxes, but I am I took the same test and I'm going to be the best damn firefighter I can be. And um, it wasn't a matter of me not being able to do the job. I can do the job. I just needed to be taught the job. And uh, coming from a field of applicants who many of them volunteered for, you know, 10 years before, or they've, you know, they've taken this test a million times, like, okay, but I'm here and I took the same test. So let's, why don't we just go on that? All right. Let's, let's just go on that. Like I earned my way here. Um, So, you know, at the end of the day, it it all boiled down to, can I do my job? And that's what I expect for anybody who came after me. I wanted to know that they can do their job. I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you came from. Can you do your job? Because as we go into these dangerous situations, life-threatening situations, as we go into um, emotional situations, um, heartbreaking situations, I just want to know that you're not going to let me down. You just, you need to be there. You need to do your job because I'm going to be doing mine. And that's exactly what I'm sure the other guys on the, you know, on the other side of my career would have said. So. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm curious, and this will just show my ignorance about this subject, um, but how is the, like, how are the firefighter, again, I don't know, teams or crews, like, how is it organized? Do you, do you work with the same individuals, like, day over day, week over week, or like a platoon? Again, I'm just throwing right. out. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the military terms. Yeah. Uh, so, number one, you should know that it, uh, I want you to know that it, uh, the fire department as a whole, the fire service as a whole is a paramilitary uh organization. So that means that we do have ranks. So there's firefighters or drivers. And in depending on where you come from in this country, you could be a driver, an engineer or a chauffeur, but it all means that you sit behind the steering wheel. Okay. <laughs> right. And then um, there are lieutenants who are in charge of a crew and there are captains who are in charge of a firehouse. Um, and, it, and you go upward from there in terms of um, your rank. So on a daily basis when you went to when you go to work you work with your crew and your crew consists of an officer a driver another firefighter depending on how big your 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 um, organization is so you're assigned a crew and those are the folks you know um, you're gonna see generally every time you get to work you're gonna be working with those same guys and that's how you generate that camaraderie right like Mm -hmm. these are the guys that you're going in with and um if you've ever played sports or watched sports and you see these teams that work together seamlessly it's because they've been doing it for a couple years and you know they they get the the behind the back pass or the no look pass or um you know it's just you 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 train together so much that you know what your responsibility is. Um, if you're an officer, you know this is your job is not only to oversee everything, but you have a particular role as we go into a fire. 
even when you're working with other crews, depending on the order in which you show up and the kind of apparatus that you're arriving in, that would determine what your responsibilities are. So um, as chaotic as it looks on the, in the movies, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's actually a little bit of, uh, there's a method to all that madness. But what's really awesome is when your chief assigns you to a crew that you get to stick with for a long time because you get that, um, you get that camaraderie, you know, whose anniversary it is, you know, whose birthday it is, you know, who's, who's the better cook, um, you know, who knows how to make a better steak. And this guy makes a better lasagna. Um, and your kids end up playing together. You, you know, are invited to weddings and it's just, a, it, it really is an extension of family. And, that's, like I said, the stuff that you see in the movies, but that only happens with uh, a nice steady pace of being around each other for a good little while. Yeah. Well, and so then, you know, you'd mentioned previously that, you know, the, the schedule of it also it gave you some, some different opportunities. What is that schedule like? Again, that's one of those things that, number one, it's evolving. Um and number two, it really depends on your department. So my department has what they call a one two one four schedule. One 24 hours on, two days off. So one day on, two days off, one day on, four days off. And you think, holy smokes, four days off. And you're right. It is a long time and it's great. <laughs> um, you know, as I got promoted and now I'm in an office and I work from seven to four Monday through Friday, I'm like, holy smokes, they're getting, they're getting more out of me than I was, than I was as if I were a firefighter. And who negotiated this contract that I've got here? You know, like, where's my union? Um, but I can tell you that um, there's also um, one on, three off. There's, and this is because we have four shifts. There are other departments that only have three shifts, so they have a different schedule. And it's um, there. It it really depends on the department. When I first started twenty something years ago, it was three day three ten hour day shifts, three days off, three fourteen hour night shifts. So three day shifts on, three days off, three night shifts on, three days off. It was crazy. And um, again, it was great for me because I had all these different interests. So I get, I got an opportunity to pursue them, but forget it if it was something on a every Monday night or on a Tuesday and a Thursday. It, it you know, my schedule just didn't accommodate for the regularity that my nine to fivers had. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, I, I'm curious. Also, um, you'd mentioned before, you know, that there's obviously tragedy uh, involved with with, mm-hmm. with firefighting. How do you? how do you cope with some of that? Like what are, what are some practices, routines, or, or just, yeah. What do you do to, to help yourself not get lost in that? Cause as someone who is not as brave as you and has not seen those things, just imagining it, it's like, it seems like that would be something that would really be hard to, to not take home. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's an awesome question. Walker. I got to tell you one thing you got to know is that, I do not have my own podcast. I would much rather run into a burning building than have mm. my own podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you're very so, good. <laughs> so bravery, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the critique that I'm sure you get in your comments or what, like, I'm not, I'm not good for that. 
Right. <laughs> I'd rather run into a burning building. So um, mm. ultimately, what I what I really mean is that it really takes everybody in our society, mm. right? And I'm just I just happen to be willing to do what I do, um, along with my brothers and sisters in blue. And um, in terms of managing stress, it's a it's a tough one. You know, the thing is that when you go into some careers, when you follow a career path, you're pretty much all set with knowing what the pitfalls are. You know, sometimes it's office politics, you know, it's the risk of losing a big account. Um, and for us, it's a lot of, a, a lot of death and a lot of loss. And there's nothing that prepares you at the academy or training in your fire department to see a body out of a casket. Like there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing. Right. Um, I was around during 9-11. Um, I have seen the tragedy of and the destruction of Hurricane Katrina. So all of that means that, yeah, you, you do have to have good coping mechanisms. And for me, I have awesome hobbies, but I also have a really, really strong support system. I've got a network of people, um, what I like to call my village, right? It takes a village to raise a child. I've got twin girls that are uh, that are seven. So um, I recognize at a really young age um, that it's always great to have good friends, right? I was told uh, that friends are like insurance. Keep them around because they'll be there when you need them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, um, so I've been able to lean on my friends when I've lost, uh, you know, brother in the fire department. Um, You know, I've had friends where we can just unload on each other. Um, some of them are in the fire department, some of them are not. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you do have to be able to unload all of that. Um, and the hardest part is just finding that, uh, that, that fortitude. You've got to find that, that some, you got to find the guts. You got to have the guts to be able to unload it, um, and do it safely. So I've got friends in the fire, in the fire department. I have friends in the fire department that have addiction issues and, and have been alcohol are alcoholics. Um, and that's, that's tragic. I mean, that's its own tragedy. And when you see them spiraling down, you, you want to be able to catch them, but really they have to catch themselves and pick themselves up and, and get to the, that safe space where they can actually get better. Um, for me, I just never wanted to be there. I, I've always really had a great time with playing sports and, um, I'm an avid reader. Mm. I'm, I'm the one that does a 2 a.m. Amazon shopping, which might be its own problem in and of itself. <laughs> um, being engaged in my community, you know, you've got to find your worth and your value even outside of your job because when you do have losses in your job, you don't want that to crush you completely. So I encourage anyone, no matter what career you're in, to have those safe outlets where you can you know, talk to your friends, your family, where you can express yourself in other ways than just being um, your, the title that you are in your job. So, um, you know, make life more well-rounded. When I started, I think I was one of the few people who the the wave of the fire service, the thought of the fire service was so different when I got on than when the guys before me had gotten on. So mm-hmm. back then it was a lifestyle. When I got on, it was a career. 
I definitely appreciate um, what you're what you're explaining there because I think you know I promote mental health a lot on this show, and um, and I think it's really good to hear. You know, we talk a lot about self care routines a lot of times, meditation and journaling and things like that. But reading that you mentioned is actually one that that I don't highlight often on the show, um, but that I think is actually really really powerful even if it's even if it's fiction right it doesn't doesn't really matter what it is but reading can introduce a person to just ideas that are completely outside of what their current world might be and i think that there's a lot of um yeah a lot of benefit i guess is the word i'm looking for in in that expansion and then like you said also just being just having <laughs> hobbies having other things going on besides just your career, even if it's something that's as meaningful and impactful as, you know, fire service, right? Um, it, it's still good to have other things. Anyway, so yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And again, I, like I said, I just, I like to promote mental health and I like to, to hear about, I, I think it's interesting to hear that perspective from someone in your line of work. Well, I can tell you that it's, it's really saved me. I mean, yeah. sure. I've got this job where I'm running into burning buildings and people's lives are at risk, including my own. But at the end of the day, when when you have suffered a loss in your job, whatever it is, you need a way to rebound. So, excuse me. It, so for you, it might be um, whatever it is, you, you've just decided that there is a way for me to get better, right? I can feel better because I have X, Y, and Z. And whatever that interest is, make sure you've got it in your back pocket, ready to pull out, because guess what? You're going to need it. You're going to need it. There's no job. There's no career that is seamless and perfect straight through. And when you do suffer that loss, if you don't have something to help or someone to help you rebound, then you're, you're really going to be good for a hell of a lot less. And um, like I said, reading, I've always been a, a reader. My kids are readers. Um and it doesn't always have to be the biggest book, the longest book. It doesn't have to be fiction. It could be it could be articles, um, but just getting out of your own self and reading about whatever your interests are. You know, they're news aggregators for my readers out there. <laughs> they're news aggregators that um, will go ahead and scour the interwebs, <laughs> scour mm -hmm. the internet for you, and gather all this information and articles and and um, tidbits about whatever your interests are and you have it in one place. And that's awesome. Um, I row, I'm an indoor rower, so I've got a water rower. And so when I uh, hop on it at five 30 in the morning, I can hear whoosh, mm. whoosh. It's awesome. Um, I tell people that I'm not a hiker, but I do golf. <laughs> which is sometimes <laughs> like hiking. <laughs> so, so you've got to have something um, even if it's, even if it is enjoying happy hour with some friends who can, you can just, uh, you know, take a sigh of relief with. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm curious, and I know it certainly doesn't need to be a, a tragic story in any way, but is there any story from your, <laughs> your, your decades as a firefighter that stands out? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are many, but is there anything, any story you can share that, that stands out for you? Uh, I can tell I you. I put you on the spot. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I'll never forget the first time I just saw a whole house on fire, like the whole thing, it was just all in, it, like you rolled up. It, it was just all on fire. The whole thing was on fire, the whole thing. And I remember that point where it's just like, 
mouth wide open, eyebrows way up. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, wait, I, I, I can't just stare at that because it looks amazing. Like you are amazed, right? It's, it's not even like, oh, wow, that's cool. It's like, oh, my goodness. And um, that if, if you could just visualize that, you kind of have to like whack yourself and say, okay, time to get to work, you know. Um, but um, it was a huge loss, you know, and it was a case of someone didn't have fire protection. They didn't have early detection, so no smoke alarms were going off. So, um, again, another tragedy. Um, but I could tell you, I got off that fire truck and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> it just looked so amazing. It was, it was rather impressive. All that fire. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I interviewed a guy who is a, a, who is a police officer, um, just last week actually. And he, he talked about whenever he got his first, I don't know, his very first, but one of his first calls, you know, to a scene and he shows up and these people are really aggressive with each other and they seem like they're going to fight and he gets out of the car and he is just kind of watching them. And he's like, man, this is crazy. Someone should do something about this. And then it, and he's like 21, you know, and then it clicks and he's like, Oh, Oh, right. That's, that's me. me. <laughs> yeah. The same kind of sentiment you were describing. Just like, Oh, right. I, I got to grab the hose. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So then, you know, so you were a firefighter for 20 years and then in 2020, uh, you become a fire inspector. So what is, is that role? And, and are you working closely with the firefighters still? Like, what does the fire inspector look like? For 20 years, I fought fires. And as I promoted out into the office of the fire marshal, the fire marshal's office, I started preventing fires and I liken it to going from lingerie to burlap. You know, <laughs> everyone loves to see firefighters. They are backslapping and just like, ah, oh, so glad you're here. So glad you're here. And then when you become a fire inspector and now I'm the deputy fire marshal, they're like, oh, no, she's here. Right. <laughs> um, so in terms of prevention, um, my focus in the fire marshal's office has been um, making sure that when you walk into any building in your municipality that is not a one or two family house, a fire inspector has been there or a fire marshal, uh, someone out of the fire marshal's office has been there. And it's to make sure, just to scratch the surface in terms of responsibilities, to make sure your exit lights are working, make sure your emergency lights are working, um, making sure that you're what we call means of egress and other people just say exit doors, <laughs> making sure that they open properly and they don't take a lot of effort to open and that they're clear. So when you go to a restaurant and, um, and you might see, you know, uh, some, some, or you go to a store and you see these boxes in front of the door, you know that I am going bonkers inside um, <laughs> because all that needs to be cleared just in case. Right. Um, we're the ones that make sure that fire sprinklers and fire alarms work. We're the ones that um, make sure that you are safe, fire and life safety, um, fire and life safe in any structure that is not a one or two family house. That's our job. Um, so when a new building comes into town, the architects and the engineers have to get clearance from us before any stick goes up, before any any piece of plywood, any anything goes up, we have to make sure that it's clear. Gotcha. So. And so then 
and so then yeah so then this year in 2022 you become the deputy fire marshal as you mentioned so so what does that role look like then is it a promotion from the inspector role kind of directly it is and ultimately it becomes more of a uh, middle management (laughs) it's i have a supervisory role and so i oversee staff and then i also have to be ready to act in case the fire marshal is unavailable so it's taking on responsibilities and also the um, the liability when there are incidences of loss. So when you see buildings collapse, when you see when you see fires, and and also you know what I wanted to also remind everyone too, a part of my responsibility are, is actually investigating fires. So. Being a firefighter has had a lot of advantage, has given me a lot of advantage as an inspector and fire marshal, because what happens is when I go in to investigate a fire, I can say, okay, I know what this, I know where this comes from. It's because this is the way we fight fires. I know the way fire travels because I've been in them before. So it's made such a huge difference. I think I've had an advantage over you know, cops that become fire investigators, because I've actually been through all of that before. I've seen fire patterns and, and, and fire behavior. So it's given me, it, I love that stuff. So. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. Well, I was going to, and I, you just answered, I was, but I started to ask, like, I just kind of assumed, I guess, that, that fire, the fire marshal group was populated by firefighters, but it makes sense that police could too, because they have that maybe investigative background, even though it's not, right in that specific realm. Right. So for municipalities, most fire marshal office personnel come from the fire, the fire side. Um, But when you start getting into say, let's think here, uh, when you start getting into insurance investigations, firing investigations, oftentimes cops will come in through that, that route to get into fire investigations. So, um, I don't know a cop who doesn't want to be a firefighter. So, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I don't know many firefighters who ever want to be a cop. So. Okay, so it's kind of like the NBA player and the rapper, except it's not both ways; it's only one way. Because <laughs> <laughs> every athlete thinks that they should be a musician, and every musician thinks they should be an athlete. But in the uh, firefighter world, it's only that cops want to be firefighters, is what we're understanding. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let's see. It's, I, I would think of it like this. I would say that it's like basketball players who want to be baseball players. Okay. But every baseball player is just really content with where they're at. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, they've got a great, so great you think CBA. About, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, you want a lengthy career? You hop on board with the MLB, boy. Right. <laughs> fair enough. So I, I did want to touch a little bit on, um, you know, we mentioned earlier, you, you, because of your unique schedule, um, which, you know, varies from, from group to group, but, but certainly it, it sounded like no matter what the, the actual breakdown of it is, there's going to be a, a group of, of days in a row off mm-hmm. as a firefighter beyond just maybe the standard two day weekend. Um, so you've done a lot of things in your time with that. Um, and I'll have a, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the, the show notes for this. So people can go and, and check out all your accomplishments and stuff there as well. Thank you. Um, but one of the, the, one of the items in there is McCurdy and Associates, which is a diversity management company. Can you talk about your work with that and, and what that sure. is all about? So 
What I realized with being the first woman of color to graduate from the academy is that there were a number of issues, not just in the fire service, but in the community as a whole, that really centered around diversity and more accurately lack thereof. Mm. And I figured, you know, I've, I've been given an opportunity to participate in a conversation on race, which you would think, well, one conversation, well, actually was a series of six. And <laughs> um, at the end of that, there was a commitment on making race relations better. And I said, I wanted to become a facilitator. I had not only wanted to become a facilitator, but I really wanted to learn more about the the formalities of really how diversity impacts a community, whatever that community is. So it could be the fire department, it could be your church, it could be with literally your neighbors, um, it could be your workplace. So how does diversity really, what are the tools that I can get to be able to um, not only understand, but also implement change so that we can have a better place to do all of those things, live, learn, work, and worship. And um, so with McCurdy and Associates, what we do is we go in and we do an evaluation, we do an assessment, and then we provide the tools for us to be able to go in and get you there, get you where, as close to where you need to be um, to have that better place to live, learn, work, and worship. And it's not nearly as easy as what many of us have experienced in terms of diversity training, you know, it's really more about creating relationships. It's really more about having the education. It's learning how to listen and it's giving each other a little bit of grace. So, or at at least uh, articulating a little bit of grace as well. So in conversations that I've had around the firehouse, it would be very, very easy for me to be quick to be offended um, and also offend other people, right? But if we just took a step back and said, hey, you know what, let me just find out where he's really coming from on this. It, for me in the firehouse, it promoted more conversation about race. And then there were less misunderstandings. And that is just an example that I can give in my own firehouse. And I can give you more specifics on that because I've got a story from one of the Sundays <laughs> on that. But, you know, when we start talking about that experience, that can happen with your neighbors, that can happen with you at work, it can happen with you in school, it can happen with you anywhere you are. But if we start giving each other the benefit of the doubt that people are inherently good and they just, they don't know how to ask a question or they don't know um, how to articulate uh, a particular thought without it sounding offensive. But if we start looking at people and saying, you know what, let me let me rephrase that and give them the tools to be able to ask the next person without being ignorant, if you will. Um, you know, and ignorant just means uneducated, right? So, so that's what we do. And I love it. Um, I do less and less diversity training, you know, that two hour session on a Friday afternoon that you have to go to where you're just like, oh, great. Some people are going to feel blamed. Other people are going to feel shamed. And then everybody walks out of there like, can't get that two hours back. Um, I try and add a little bit of levity because nobody likes nobody likes talking about the hard stuff like the gravity. If you don't have levity with a little bit of gravity, then it's going to be a disaster. So what I try and do is just put things into better perspective and 
um, have people understanding that blaming and shaming gets us nowhere, um, but just learning better tools on on whatever side you are on on our spectrum of this life um, and just getting people to have better conversations. Once we have better conversations, we can take uh, more effective action. Man, that's so awesome to hear. Um, I, I, I think there's so much, there's so much truth in, in everything that you just said, but I think that, that that's something that's missing now in, in our culture is that, that, that bit of grace that you talked about where it's like, and I, I don't know where this turn of phrase comes from. And I don't know if it's actually like, I can't decide if it's legitimate or not, but it's that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, mm-hmm. which basically seeks to imply that intentions don't matter. What only, only the thing that matters is outcomes. Right. And I think that, that, that there can be some truth to that, but I also do think that it does matter. And again, not I'm, there, it's a spectrum as you've put it over and over, which is a brilliant way to put it. Certainly there are extremes where there is no good in it, right? There, the good right, intention right. is all bad. But there are times where people, to your point, just just don't just don't know a better way. And they're not coming from a place of cruelty or trying mm-hmm. to be mean. They're just <laughs> they just don't know. And right. it, it doesn't make it any less insulting, perhaps. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but it also it also maybe like you put it, kind of offers a window. To, to repair that so that it's not permanently damaged, even if it's damaged in that moment. Right. Um, I, I guess my point in, in emphasizing that is just like, it, it's also not true that people can just never be offended. Right. And like, Oh, well, if that bothered you, it's because you're thin skinned. Like that's not true either. But, but trying to find a way to work past that instead of just stopping there and being like, I'm offended. I hate you. Or, you're offended too easily. So I hate you or whatever. <laughs> exactly. No, you're absolutely right on that. You're absolutely right on that. So um, while I was at Cornell, I had, I was reading this book and the book is uh, afraid of the dark, what blacks and whites need to know about each other. I believe that's the name of the book. And I'm reading this book at work and my captain, who's, you know, third generation firefighters got the big handlebar mustache and has a deep voice and, (laughs) you know, mitts for hands. And um, he says to me, so what are you reading that book for? So I explain it to him and he says, you know, when I think of diversity, I think I'm going to lose my job. And, you know, that's probably one of the most vulnerable things Right. The guy on the job has ever said to me, like he put himself in a in this crazy place of, of vulnerability. And I could have gone so many different ways with that. Um, but I knew that, you know, that was his, that was, that was a really, um, that was a moment that was really pivotal. So in our conversation, I tried to focus on what I knew he thought was important. So I talked about how we deliver our service. I gave him examples as to how I've been important on our crew and and allows us to more efficiently deliver our services because I'm a woman, because I'm Jamaican, because I am black, um, because I am from the municipality that we serve. So I'm oftentimes a familiar face, right? So. I talk about how if there's a woman who is, you know, bleeding profusely, she might be more willing to tell me what was going on than him. I talk about how a bill, an apartment building that um, 
primarily is uh, the, their residents are primarily uh, Eastern Europeans, when they have him knocking on the door, beating down the door saying, you need to come out, you need to come out, you need to get out of here. You know, they're opening the door as far as that little chain will allow the door to open and slamming it when they see him. But when I come over and I say, we need to evacuate, you need to come out, it's a, it's, it's just a different look. They were trying to get away from guys like him. And um, for me, they'll follow my direction. Talk about when, um, you know, a Jamaican is in a car accident and he's got a thick, thick accent. And guess what? I know every single word that he's talking about. So just by having me there, those are three different situations that I can clearly identify that having some diversity, if I were the average white guy on the back of the fire truck, we're not going to be able to deliver that same service as efficiently than if, than if I had been there. And he got it. He got it. So I said, like, what if we had somebody who was Spanish speaking? What if we have somebody, you know, so I can go through the different components of diversity that we could perhaps offer. Um, and I think I made my point with him and he got it. I think he really got it. And, um, but he was open to it. Right. So that's, that's probably an advantage that I had. He was open to the conversation, which makes a huge difference. So, um, yeah, so that's how that unfolded. Yeah, no, that that's a really beautiful story. And, and, and you're right about the the idea that it takes both people being wanting to participate in that conversation, right? Yeah. Which is also, you know, you may mention earlier about, um, you know, people that might struggle with addiction or, or, you know, demons of that kind of nature. And it's like, you know, as a friend, colleague, family member, whatever you may be, you, you want to save them. And it's not that you can't help, but ultimately that person has to choose that for themselves. Right. And while that's such a different context, it's like in this case, that that superior voice had to choose to be open to that. Like you couldn't make him. And if you try, it actually is going to make him retreat further back away. Right. 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 That resistance becomes even greater. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it's so crazy. Like how, the events of the last several years, not just a singular event, but many of them have actually pushed me to be more understanding of people that I disagree with, because I think a lot of what we've seen unfold with the division here in America, at least, and really maybe around the world is actually that it's people retreating to their corners and wanting to build these echo chambers. And, and it's like, it, it seems like, Oh, your ideas are crazy. So you go over there and let's just not talk about it. But then what happens is those people all get in a room together and now it's just a crazy room. And now what do we do? Right. Like, <laughs> so we can't, we can't be closed off uh, like that. Um, even when it's uncomfortable anyway, uh, Marsha, I, I can't thank you enough for, um, for coming on and, and sharing your story, for sharing um, your insights, your wisdom. Uh, again, what you've accomplished is, is just truly awesome. And, and the service you've, you've provided for your community is awesome. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I'll have your LinkedIn uh, profile in the show notes. You've also got a Facebook page for user motivational speaker that I'll have in, in the show notes. People can click on that as well. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to connect with you or any, any other place you'd like to direct them to? Um, you know, I'm just hoping that I don't have to see them uh, professionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want everyone to be safe out there. Um, I would love if there's any opportunity for me to share my story about grit and tenacity, and um, I, I would more than be more than willing to share it. You know, 
the way I've looked at life has been, um, has been good for me. You know, I think it's gotten me a far way, but ultimately it comes from the fact that I've never let other people's stereotypes get in the way of my own success. I am not what anyone would ever consider to be the face of the fire service. And I still didn't let that get in the way of me wanting to be a good firefighter, me wanting to be a good uh, inspector, or now deputy fire marshal, have a successful career in the fire service at whatever rank. Um, and I just encourage other people to do the same. Like, don't let somebody else dictate and determine what path you should take or how much success you should have. Go for it. Just bang it out. Do it. You know, Nike, the re, Nike's been very successful with that slogan. Just do it. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I, I just really encourage people to understand that you're the one that can make it happen and you just got to do it out there. Awesome. Well, again, Marcia, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's been a true pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, if there's any way that I could be helpful, you let me know. One knuckle on the wheel is jogged all day. He barrels past those broken down blind and the damages he made. He's got a plan pit now, the world turns his way. Legible to himself, chicken scratches all he made. Any indication of where he's going, did he say? Past the bridge of illusion that folds and sways.
Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Marsha for sharing her walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And of course, thank you for listening. I also invite you to check out my other show, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters. Pick Up Your Sticks can be found on any podcast app. As always, thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.